everyone. Thank you. You can have a seat. Wow, I started looking around thinking, who's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great welcome. I'd like to meet that guy. No, look, um, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Brad. That was an excellent introduction. And, and also thank you, and thank you for uh, to the Forever House leadership team for the opportunity. You know, it's no small thing. And this over to someone, so I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak here in the house. So, uh, you know, it's weird you introduce me. Uh, normally, I'm introducing Pastor Brad, and so I like to swap around. It's pretty cool. Maybe next we could swap cars or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And um, no, but look, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, this morning, I'm going to bring. Uh, word called, it's not what it looks like, and who knows that, um, you know, the looks can be deceiving, Amen. and um, the seeing isn't always believing, you know, we, we say, oh, seeing is believing, but we live in the age of Photoshop, and, uh, and seeing isn't always believing, amen, amen, and so um, I'm going to base my message this morning out of the scripture, Matthew 27, verse 42, and it says, he saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. And we will believe him. Uh, so I'm just going to pray. Lord, I just thank you for your message this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you've given me a message uh, for this people on this morning. And I ask you, Lord, for the ability to deliver it as you've given it to me. I ask for ears to hear and hearts to receive as well. May you bless this word this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So part one of my message, it's a three-part message, so you're not starting to think, oh, no, it's a 17-part message. We'll be here forever. There's three parts. Part one is called Holding God to Ransom. Holding God to Ransom. Have you ever given God an ultimatum? It looks like this. Um, God, if you were in this, it would look like this. God, if you were really part of this situation, it would look different. And because it doesn't look like I expect, I don't think you're in it. Have anybody ever done that? I do. Yeah. And so uh, Jesus is on the cross when this is said to him, and it's said by the people walking past, and they say, ah, if you were really God, you'd come down. Um, and so they're criticizing him, but they're asking him to prove his identity on their terms. And when we do that, you know, when stuff comes up in our life sometimes that we do that, we say, uh, God, uh, if you don't do it this way, then I don't really believe you're God. I don't really believe you situation. But the problem with doing that is we're saying that for God to be the God we believe, he must meet our expectations. Yes, that's true. But God is not subject to our expectations. He's subject to his word. That's good. Amen. And so when we when I put conditions on how I want God to work in my life, I limit what he can do and close the door on what he's already doing. Um, and, and God takes more than into account than I take into account when I look at the situation. Everybody, hang on. Everybody go like this and make a really tiny hole with your finger and thumb here and, and look through it. Okay? Do you see how much you can't see? And so we kind of look at our world like that, but God has normal vision. God can see everything. And we start telling him, oh God, this is how it is. But he knows that's pretty silly. He can see more than we can see. And we start telling God, you need to do this, you need to do that. But we can't see what he can see. And we're happy to follow him. Uh, oh, and so 
a long time ago, I forget to God. Uh, in the last week, if you were here, we celebrated 22 years since I had a liver transplant. And so, yeah, woo. And, um, and so, at the time of the transplant, uh, it was difficult. So I moved over here to Brisbane with my, my mother and sister, and some from New Zealand, born and raised in New Zealand. Yeah. So we moved over here. And, uh, and so we moved over here, and uh, the nature of liver transplants at that time was that you don't know when the donor's going to come. And so you're just here for an indefinite amount of time, and it can be stressful, and maybe you're sick or getting sicker, and you just really don't know what's, when it's going to happen. And I had some agenda that I had on the situation. I was about 13, and I was about to start high school, and I didn't want to start high school in Australia. I wanted to get back to New Zealand. I didn't want to bounce between more schools. And I had a few other things. I wanted to get home. You know, there's, there was just things that I thought, I need this to happen. And so I picked a date. I was like, right, I think it was September sometime, like on this date, this is when we're going to have the transplant, and, and, and it'll be just all a disaster if it doesn't happen. Well, that day came and went, and I didn't have a transplant. And I started to say, God, you're looking me down here, and it's no good, and I'm, I'm like stressed out. And, and you have to, after a transplant, stay in, in near the hospital, near Brisbane, uh, for three months. So I knew that if it's past September, I'm starting to get late for school. This past October, and October came and went, and I started to just live and just carry on and, um, and kind of almost give up. And then, um, and then one night, it was a Sunday night, and we were watching Who Cares Wins, and um, <laughs> funny what you remember. And, um, and, then, um, and then we got the phone call, and it was straight in, into hospital, and I was in theater that night, and it happened very quickly. And, and when I came out, I was on this new medication, they put me on a new medication. That, that had been released that very week. Wow. And so God did not waste a single moment in reality, but he could see more than I could see. As it was, I was late by about two weeks to get back to school in New Zealand, but that doesn't matter. He sort of met most of my needs, you know, he met my expectations eventually, but actually he had better in mind because the drug I'm now on is a massive improvement over the previous one. And so... The quality of life I now have, the life expectancy, the lack of side effects, it's, it's worlds apart from the previous drug. And God knew that, but I didn't know that. God could see more than I could see, and he did not waste a moment in bringing me uh, through the situation uh, to the best, you know, better than I could have imagined. So we're having to follow God sometimes when it looks like he's blessing us or he's close to us and he's present in our situation. But what about when things go bad and it looks like God can't, can't do it. What if it looks so bad it's even it's out of his control or that he can do it but he won't do it? You know, the, the, the disciples had followed uh, Jesus for three years. They had given up a lot to follow him, but they still hadn't registered the, before the cross what was really going on. And just the night before the cross, Jesus' disciples were still not ready to accept what he was doing, but they were ready to chop people in the air to defend their expectations. And so in Matthew 26, 51 to 53, it says, with that, one of Jesus' companions, now Matthew's cool, he doesn't rat Peter out, but a couple of the other Gospels do. So we know it was Peter. Uh, Matthew's children. Uh, the other Gospels are not them. So Peter drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not? Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve 
legions of angels. Imagine it. Yeah, I, I do think you can do that. I, I'm kind of wondering why you don't. You know, I know you can do it, God, but I, I'm wondering why you're just walking away and giving up. I'm here to defend you, but you're not defending yourself. You know? So have you ever had a thing that you thought God could fix, that God could fix? You know he can, but you wonder why he won't. You've seen him do it before. You've seen him do it for others. But he's not coming near your situation, and you don't know why. It's difficult. It's hard. And you think, God, if you just step in here, we'll be okay. If you just fix this relationship, then I can move on. If you just fix my situation at work, I can move on. If you just fix my finances, then I can do stuff for you. Why won't you do it? I know you can. I'm tired. I know you can do this. I don't know why you're not. And it can be a difficult place because we then, we, we begin to lean on our expectations too much yeah. and not trust God. And when you begin to trust what you expect and not trust God, that creates a gap between experience and expectation. And that gap is very difficult to fill. So we get to the point where we think God's letting it slip and we get out our swords, we start to get out our swords to defend God and to defend ourselves. And the situation shows up and it looks particularly nasty. It shows up with weapons and with flames. That's what happened. The king of Earth sees us with weapons and flames. So, so you get out your sword and you attack them on their level. You attack the situation on their level. He said this, I say that. They did this, I'm going to do that. Um, they're attacking me, I'm defending me, I'm attacking back. They said this, I'm going to comment on Facebook about that. <laughs> you know, that's living by the sword. Amen. That's fighting him at their level. And Peter takes matters into his own hands, and he, he's like, Jesus isn't bringing up a fight, I'm going to bring up a fight. So he swats old man's air off, Malchus is his name, swats Malchus' air off. And then Jesus said, no, 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 that. I'm just walking off. And can you imagine that confusion? Um, but if you start the fight, you have to sustain it. And so imagine if then the other disciples had got out their swords and it was a battle. That wouldn't have gone well. That's not what God had in mind. And that's certainly not what would bring the victory. You begin to fight them on their level, and that's not where the victory is. Amen. And so God says, no, put your swords away. You know, a um, good example of getting out your sword is gossip. Gossip. They say this, um, Hear this from that person, I tell that person, I'm trading information. But sooner or later, people pick it up and they start not to tell you things. So you get isolated and you end up alone thinking that people are talking about you and you die by the sword that you drew. Yeah, well, preach that. That is Amen. why you don't draw the sword. Everyone say, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. When you fill the gap between our expectations and our experience, when a gap appears, should I say, between our expectation and our experience, how do I fill it? It can be very difficult. Um, I've done all I know how to do. I've fought every way I know how to fight, but it doesn't work, and this is for real. This one's come in the night. It's come and it's led, it's changed everything. It's even led God away from me. It's not what I expected. It's, it's not what I thought. It's not what I prayed for. It's not what I believed for. I don't have a plan for this. When we're not sure whether God has it under control, we can look at what he's already done as proof of what he's going to do. You know, when we don't know, we can have confidence in what we can't see because of what we have seen. 
And if we haven't seen it personally, we can look to it for other people's lives and, and God's you know, faithfulness in other people's lives. And if we haven't seen it in other people's, we can look for it in the Word. You know, Amen. God is faithful. He is never living. He doesn't let you down. He always, always, always meets His Word. Amen. And the only thing that fills the gap between experience and uh, expectation and experience is faith Amen. and trust in God. It's the only thing that will fill it. Everything else is empty. But it's easy to put my faith in what I can see. When it comes to what I can't see, it's very difficult to put my faith in. Who knows? Who's experienced that? Yes, absolutely. Great. That brings us to part two, and it's called the opposite of faith. Turn your neighbor and say the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith. <laughs> Okay, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Some Bible scholars think there was as few as 15 people on the hill when Jesus died. Imagine that, 15. I imagine hundreds, maybe thousands gathered around, but they think there might have been as few as 15. And the people passing by were yelling this phrase that we're reading. Oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross, and then we'll believe him. But the problem with that is, they are calling for a miracle to prove his identity, but they've already seen miracles. If miracles were enough, they would already be gathered around the cross. Yeah, it's good. I mean, there were thousands in the desert, thousands in the desert, when he turned lunchboxes into feasts. They all saw it. They all ate. Where are they now? You know, he did that twice. And the, the Gospels are full of, and the, the crowds were around Jesus, and the crowds met Jesus, and he couldn't escape the crowds. It's just all the way through. Where were the crowds now? Where were they now? He had proved himself by their standards time and time again, but they were waiting for it one more time. But this time was different. This time was different. They should have already believed. They had seen enough to believe. They know who he was. They had laid palms down and welcomed him in a week before him. They knew who he was, but they're just calling for one more miracle. One more miracle. And they're calling him to prove his identity on their terms. We say, you might have done this for this or that before in my life. We say that to God. You know, we string him along when we hold him to answer to our expectations. You might have done this before, but I'm not going to believe you unless you do the next thing. I'm not going to believe you unless you do what I'm expecting. And when we do that, yeah, it's no good. It's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of faith. So he is God. Let's just get that clear right now. He is God. Amen. No matter what happens next in your situation, he is God. He is God right now. He will be God tomorrow. He'll be God next week. He'll be God next year. No matter what happens, he's God and he's on the throne right now. And his plan is in place. Um, he was in the. He's not motivated. He's not motivated by our expectations. He's not motivated to fill them. He's actually motivated by love. Amen. Who knows that? And he was in the very act of showing the biggest, uh, the biggest demonstration of love when they were saying this to him. He was in the very act of. So God is motivated by love, not to meet our expectations. But sooner or, God lead, sooner or later, God leads us to an area of life that looks like a dead end. Because he needs to get us off facing our hope 
in the results and in placing our trust in his character. Yeah, okay, come on. So results is what he does. Yeah. He is the God of results, right? He is the God of results. But he his character is what we should trust. It never changes. His character is who he is, not what he does. And who he is never changes. Yeah. yeah. Never changes. So they're out there in the desert. They saw him healed. The crowds have seen him healed. Lepers, he's healed the paralyzed. He's made the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and the dead live. He's done it all, and they've seen it all. And they knew it. But they still held his identity to ransom on the next move. That's the opposite of faith. Waiting for God to move before you believe is backwards. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Waiting for God to move before you believe is backwards. If he had come down off the cross that day, 15 old small people might have seen another miracle. But then what? But then what? Jesus chose to stay up there and win a victory that none of the other miracles could possibly win. Amen. He died in what looked like defeat. In what looked like defeat. Everyone say it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. And he won a victory so big that you and I stand in it today. Amen. But he died. He died. Hope died. Their plan died. I mean, imagine it. Let's just imagine the cross here and you're standing beneath it. And the very person, the very thing you put your faith in, and there might be a situation in your life, the very thing you put your future on, you put your hope in, you bet on this, and it's dead. How disappointing. How difficult to get past. The guy who was going to overthrow their oppression, he's dead. They gave up their lives. They dragged their boats up to the shore and walked away. And now he's dead. He hung on the cross, dead. Like death. It wasn't a trip. He was dead. They offered him drink, you know, just before just before he died. We offered him some drink. Yeah, yeah, have some, have some drink. He's thirsty. We, we're hanging on to anything we can do to keep him alive. But they watched and waited to see what he would do, and, and, and he died. Anybody ever watched and waited for God to move? Watched and waited for God to move in your marriage? Watched and waited for God to move in your job and in your finance? Watched and waited for God to move in your children? And then nothing? And it's difficult. Now the sky is dark and it's supposed to be bright. And the plan I bet my life on is it, it's dead. It was okay when I had a job, but now I've been laid off and the bills keep coming. It, it, it's dead. It was okay, my relationship. It was okay when they used to talk to me when it was messy, but at least it was alive. Now they won't even call me. It, it's dead. And it's difficult. It was bad before, but at least it was alive. Maybe I should have stayed where I was. Maybe I should have kept my fishing boat and saved myself three years. Anybody ever felt that? Anybody ever felt this? It was just me. Yeah. I've definitely felt it. Maybe I should have. Maybe I've gone too far here. Maybe I should have just attended the church and get the rest of my life a bit separate. But no, I've, I've backed on this. I've backed Amen. on this. I dragged my boat up to the shore. I walked away. And now what have I got to show for it? You know, so many Christians walk away at this point because they misdiagnose the death as being final. You know, as being permanent. So again, the expectations and experience, there's a gap. 
and there's such disappointment that grows in that gap, and you just walk away. You know, this Christian thing isn't for me. And we go back, you know, the um, the disciples, they, they, went, they went back to their boats and said, like, oh, well, we're going back to where, what we left before we met Jesus. We're going back to what I left before I met Jesus. But in that gap, when the thing that, you, that God's given you, it's not turning out like you thought it was. We have a great example here in the um, story of the Shunammite woman. Who knows that woman? Yeah. yeah. So just to catch you up, if you don't know, she was a lady and she had a, she had a husband and, and they, they didn't have any children. And Elisha came and stayed. The prophet Elisha came and stayed in their house when he was in that area. And so she built a room, a permanent place just for him. And it's good to build a permanent place in your life just for God. And so he said, oh, well, what can I do for you? And uh, they didn't have a kid, so yeah, you can have a kid and he prophesied a kid, and the lady was like, oh, all right, if you say so, I don't know about this. And they had a kid, and the kid grew a little bit, and, and went out and helped dad in the field when he was a few years old, and then he got sick, and then one day he, he died. Can you imagine? But the woman, what an example she said, she takes the thing that has died, and she puts it in the place where God is in her life, the permanent place where God rests in her life. She puts in there, and then she walks away which I think is really clever, because what I do is I gather around the dead thing, and I won't let it out of my sight. If I just stay here, yeah, if I just stay here then it'll, it'll live. If I turn my attention somewhere else, then if I'm not focused, nobody is, and nothing will happen, but that's not true. So we leave it there, and we leave it where, we, where God is in our lives, and we go to the place where we know the word came from. Yeah, come so on. she Amen. gets on a donkey, and she gets out of there, Hallelujah. and she goes to the guy and says, actually, she said, it is well. It is well, but the thing you gave me, it's, it's dead, and I'm not really prepared to stand for that. I don't want it to be dead, so you need to come. And he said, all right, I'm going to send my, send my servant. And she goes, no, no, you, you come. You come. So they went back. Praise the Lord. Elisha raised the kid back, and he was alive. But can you imagine if she had just stayed in the room, in the house, and said, oh, this thing is dead in my life. And there's nothing I can do about it. This thing is dead, and if I don't let it out of my sight, then nobody will care about it. But when we focus on God and on the Word that brought the life in the first place, then it can be revived. So I tell you today, I want to tell you, God's Word is yes and amen. Amen. And He needs stuff to die in your life so that you would trust not just the outcome, but the God of the outcome. Amen. And the God of the resurrection. And the trust is in Him, not in the action. Not in the outcome. Part three. Words of life. Words of life. That's part three. So we're going to come back to the scene of the cross. Imagine we're on that hill again, and, and, and Jesus is up on the cross. And, and, and what are we really watching happen here? You know, we've talked about the death and Let's look around at the scene of it and see what we can find. Because Jesus is dead, and that's not what I expected. So what have I missed? Everyone say, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Let's have a look around the scene for why we should have been hopeful. Why should we be hopeful? We can easily get distracted by the really big dead situation. Oh. Now, you and I know the end because we get the rest of the book. But they didn't have that benefit, did they? So they're standing there looking like, what on earth is happening here? This isn't the opposite of what we thought was going to happen. 
And um, in case you don't know, Jesus' death is very much a temporary situation. In case you don't know that, so I'm just going to spoil it over here. <laughs> um, but how should they have known that standing there? The words. The words involved that surrounded the situation. Let's have a look at some of them. Uh, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. And so we think, yeah, words of victory. You know, I looked at the t-shirt, the probably should have worn it. It says, to tell us die. That's the Greek thing that we translate, it is finished. It says it down here. It's got this, like, victorious fist like this. It looks pretty awesome. But, um, <laughs> but you know, those words sound victorious to us because we've turned the page. But how did they sound on the other side of the death? It is finished? Wait, more giving up? It is finished? Actually, those words talk about paying a debt, settling a debt. So that would have been confusing, if nothing else. But still sounding a little bit defeated. It is finished. The debt is paid. What are you talking about, Jesus? It's not, it doesn't, the words don't match the circumstances. Jesus had been schooling everyone everywhere he went, and now this is all he could say. Was it, was it too little, too late? Let's keep looking. There are words everywhere, both spoken and written, that should have alerted the disciples to what was really going on. Okay, so we have three scriptures here, all from Mark. Mark 8.31, I don't know if we've got them up. Mark 8.31, there we go, so three of them. I'm not going to read all three of them for the sake of time, we'll just do with the top one, but they all pretty much say the same thing. And it's this. Uh, then he began, so he began to teach... Then that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is like, he's not like speaking in code. He speaks plainly about this. And actually, Peter, we know he grabs him and says, Oh, God, oh, Jesus, I don't know about that, man. You're freaking out the boys. <laughs> and Peter says, uh, you know, Come down and get back when you say that's what you mean. But, um, but um, yeah, he says, yeah, so sometimes don't you do that? Who's ever said to go, I don't know about this plan. I think I like my plan better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, so these two, these two um, scriptures say the same thing. So example, just Jesus saying very clearly to his disciples, this is what will happen. This is what will happen. So, you know, any questions? Could Jesus have been more clear? But they all missed it for two reasons. One, it actually says in Luke, uh, they were, um, the meaning of this was hidden from them, which I find really interesting and quite frankly, I don't understand. But it says that. It also is the case that they all had a very clear agenda around what they expected, which is Jesus is going to take the throne, he's going to unseat all the Roman occupation, and, um, and and we're just going to be free again. And so we're just going to be the 12 dudes, we're going to be probably eating grapes and being kings. And that's what they were expecting. And they were following him to the top. That's what they thought. And suddenly now this? No, no, no. I like my plan better. I like my plan better. So above Jesus' sign, above Jesus' head was a sign that said, King of the Jews. King of the Jews. You know, that was meant to actually be the charge against them. But we know now that it was a declaration of his identity. Yes. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Um, but it seemed not to matter at that moment, did it? It didn't matter what sign was above his head. It didn't matter what he had said to the boys. And, and um, it didn't matter 
in that he says it was finished. What, it doesn't, what does it all mean? You, you're dead now anyway. All the words you can say, it doesn't add up to anything when you die. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. And so the very guy who could do anything, you know, they've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him do it. But if he's dead, who can do it? You know, imagine that confusion. So perhaps there have been words in your world that seem totally invalid now. Words about your marriage, words about your career, words about your finances, words about your children, about your peace, about your mental health. You know, there's written a word above the, the, above the dead body of Jesus, there's written a word, King of the Jews. King of the Jews, and it's the truth, and there's written a word over your circumstance too, over your marriage that says a cord of three strands cannot be broken. Over your work that says promotion comes from your Lord. Over your finances that says I'm Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Over your children that says I'm the God of generations. Are you picking this up? Over your peace. Over your heart that says I'm the Prince of Peace. Over your anxiety that says I have given you a sound mind. There are words over your circumstance. It doesn't matter how dead it looks. The words are truth. Yes. And you can lean on them. You can count on them. It does not matter what you're looking at. The words are true. God is victorious. Uh, Get your eyes off what's dead and above it and look at the words. Look at the words that proclaim who is king. Who is king? The stone's been rolled away. Spoiler alert again, he walked out of the tomb. He walked out. Three days. He walked out. You know, Jesus promises in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Yes. Because I have overcome the world. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. You know, and this is the act through which he overcame the world. Yes. The death and the resurrection. You know, that that came, this whole circumstance went about not to kill Jesus. That wasn't the... That wasn't the point. The point was to kill the thing that was against you. And the same is true in your circumstance. The challenge has come not to kill you, but to kill the thing that opposes you. Yeah? And so we can count on God. We can count on God. Amen. The only thing that stayed dead dead on the cross was the enemy's authority over you. The only thing that stayed dead was sin's power over you. Yes. Jesus rose again. Yeah. Amen. And he lives today. Yeah. And he yes. is king over your life and over your situation. That rejection, the divorce, the the marriage difficulty, the career, the finance, the family, your heart, your mind. There's victory for that. There's victory. Jesus died and rose again. He died and rose again so that you would walk in that victory. So that you would walk in that victory. And it can be yours if you just stop telling Jesus how it's supposed to work. Yeah, that's it. Come on. Amen. Just stop telling him how it's supposed to work. Um, um, I'd like to invite the musicians up. You know, um, we're going to end now with some uh, some one-on-one time with God. God's praying about this part of my message. And, you know, very often we, we invite people up the front pray for people, and that's really good, you know, the Bible teaches that you pray for one another, and that's really cool, but I actually felt at this particular moment, that it's going to be a one-on-one moment with God, 
a one-on-one -on -one moment. Jesus died and he won that victory, not so you could come to me, but so you could go to him. Amen. Not so you could come to people sitting on the front row, but so you could go to God. Direct, you have direct access. You have the same access that anyone that has a pastor in front of their name has. So today we're going to use that access. And so I've got three different groups of people I want to point out. And you can put yourself into each category as you see fit. So if your situation looks dead, you don't know what to do. My situation, I thought God said this, but now it looks like that. If that's you, in a moment, you're gonna, I'm going to get you to stand. Everyone's going to stand, by the way. It's not just me. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to talk to God about that. If you don't know what's going on, if this is a next category, if you don't know what's going on, if my life is a mess now, I don't even know how to clean it up. If that's you, then in a moment we're going to talk to God. You're going to get the opportunity to just stand and have a moment with God and say, God, I've made this mess and I don't know how to clean it up. And the third people in my heart, it's for these people. Because it's hard. You are, if you were responsible for your mess, if you made it, and you feel like, I can't go to Jesus till I at least clean it up a little bit, and then take it to him. No. Jesus wants your mess right now. Even if you created it with your poor decisions, yeah. with your poor decisions, with your mess making, if you're neck deep in your poor decisions right now, great. Bring them to God. He's not waiting for you to clean it up to a certain level before he's allowed in. No, no, it's not like that. He didn't die so that you would have to work your own way out of the mess you created. He died to walk right into the middle of it, even if you created it. So if you feel responsible right now for your own situation, you say, God, I messed it up. You surely can't help me. I messed it up. You surely didn't die for me because I just keep messing it up. If that's how you feel, that's just wrong. And God did die. Jesus did die. And he wants to walk right into the middle of the mess you've created and help you clean it up. And very often you'll find if you don't even if you don't allow that to happen, you'll never walk out of that mess. You you can't make it happen by yourself. I know I've tried. And so if you feel responsible responsible for the mess you've created, then this moment's for you as well. So we're just gonna stand if everyone like to stand and Close your eyes and we'll just get the musicians playing. And we're just going to take a minute, a couple of minutes, to say to God, God, would you just walk right into my mess? Would you just come straight to where I am now? And would you clean it up for me, Lord? Would you reach in? Would you touch my heart? Would you touch my situation? Would you show me the words of life over my dead situation? Would you show me, Lord, that you are the God of resurrection? You know, Jesus forgave the people who nailed him to the cross as they nailed him to the cross. That's why he's not worried about your dumb decisions. He's got forgiveness for them. He's got forgiveness for them, even if you're neck deep in them right now. That's the heart of God for you. That's the heart of God for your situation. So let's just spend the next minute, the next couple of minutes, giving it to God. Just lifting it to God, lifting it to the God who can, didn't get down off the cross as a miracle, but he walked out of the tomb in absolute victory, in total victory, and in victory that you and I can access and walk in right now today. Thank you, Lord.